Uh, but we, uh, we transi transitioned into a ministry called National Hoops, where basically we were setting up uh, basketball tournaments at churches in their gym or in their parking lot for the purpose of evangelizing the area. We go into the public schools. Many of the public schools allow us to get out flyers. We get the kids to come. Uh, referees would come. Uh, moms would come. And we'd always preach a powerful gospel message uh, to those, those kids or those moms or whatever. That, my brother actually started that ministry. So we were doing that. And then we, uh, we were in Illinois, and uh, we're, able to do, we're able to do a basketball tournament in a prison of all places. How many of you have been to prison? Okay, you're very brave because people want to know why you've been to prison. So. Huntsville, prison city. So. Oh, okay, yes, I've heard of Huntsville. I haven't been there yet, but yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so we, we actually did a tournament in a prison in Illinois. It was my first time ever in prison, and I was a little nervous. It was a small prison. We had about 50 guys that uh, participated in the tournament and preached the gospel message to them, and, and several of them responded, along with a guy that was in charge of the prison the whole day. And so here we have the guy in charge who's supposed to be really good, it, putting himself in the same position as the inmates, who basically, you understand this, we're all just desperately wicked sinners in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so that's what he was admitting. And so, But you can't just start a ministry by going into one prison and doing a basketball tournament, all right? But you have to understand, as you're sitting here, especially in the state of Illinois in the Midwest, sports in prison is a big deal. Like, you, you're not thinking about that because you're just going on your daily basis. But there are people that that's their full-time job is start uh, working recreation inside of prisons. Um, they, for ladies, they'll do, you know, tournaments, whatever you want. What do you want, want a ping-pong tournament? Sure, we'll do that, okay? Whatever you want. Uno tournament? Let's just do Uno. Okay, so... Um, the guy in charge of the whole state of Illinois, the chief chaplain, actually got our information, and he sent out, I believe, an email to all the prisons in the state of uh, Illinois telling them that they should do a tournament. And so that's how we started. That's our ministry started about six years ago called Inside the Lines, right? We play sports inside the lines, and uh, if you've ever been to prison, you understand that many of them, they walk inside of a set of lines. You can't cross them. You have to go a certain direction, so it's just kind of a play on words. Uh, but we have been going now for about six years, been in and out of prison myself about a hundred times. Um, I'm a hardened criminal, I know. Uh, my wife will come in with me. We'll do um, basketball for the men, basketball tournaments for the men where the inmates play each other. And uh, we've, we'll have, I know one place in Illinois where we had about a hundred guys and it was two full courts. It looked like a YMCA. It was really rec center, uh, guys working out. And I think we had like two correctional officers, so the whole thing for all hundred. So we'll have an average, you know, 60 guys come to these, these tournaments and preach to them. Especially in the Midwest, I always have a chance where they sit down, it's just me, the other, other church members that come with us, and them in the gym. And uh, a lot of times it's quiet, and they hear the gospel message. Some of them perhaps have never heard it before. Or perhaps they heard it back when before prison, and now they're getting real <laughs> with the gospel. So, uh, but my wife, as I was mentioning, she'll come in with me if we do a volleyball tournament for the ladies. If we can find good babysitters, uh, she there's no way to communicate while we're in prison, so hopefully nothing happens to our kids uh, while we're in prison. But uh, she'll come in with me to do a ladies' uh, volleyball tournament. Now, the reason why we're here, uh, obviously we're here to preach, but the other thing is uh, last year we actually set up a volleyball tournament at Lockhart. Uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly how far it is away from here, but now that I've, I've looked, and you guys have several prisons in Austin, Round Rock area, but Lockhart is a women's institution, and uh, we had set it up to be there last year. Then obviously COVID hit, so we weren't able to do it. But what we do when we go into a prison is we try to get 
you know, like-minded churches to come in with us and send some volunteers. Not to play, okay, you ladies don't have to be afraid of that, okay. Uh, if you're good at volleyball, sure, you can play. But to come in, just bring a Bible and to sit down uh, with the inmates when the gospel's preached and talk to them about the Lord and encourage them. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll just send my wife around the building around the, and just say, hey, go talk to ladies, and she'll just fellowship with the ladies and, and show them Christ even in her just talking to them. So, but we could use you. If the, the doors ever open again uh, post-COVID, then we love to have you ladies come and join us. You don't have to be, I just say this, you don't have to be as nervous as what they make you think you should be as nervous. Does that make sense? Uh, by watching TV, okay? It is not, am I right? Okay, thank you, for, thank you for agreeing with me. Okay, so TV is not real-life prison, all right? They always find the worst prisons and put those on TV, okay? These women, the women, the men, when we go in there, what we're doing is a recreational time. They love us, okay? They love us. If there's any altercations between the players, I've had it where there was, we had a little thing going on between the players, and everybody else got angry at those two or three players that started a fight because that meant that the rest of them couldn't play. And so they were angry at them, and thankfully the staff let us keep playing. But they never, they're not, if there's a fight, they're not coming after me. I'm the good guy. Uh, you're, not, you're not coming after, it's just, you're, we're bringing them uh, that joy, I guess, for, for one day. And then we'll bring them prizes. Whoever wins gets, like for the men, we'll bring whole fudge round boxes, like 12 count. All right, and that's a big deal. Sodas, all right. For the ladies, we brought them detergent before, like name brand detergent. That's a big deal. Um, so they... We have nothing to fear. They, they like us when we, when we come in. So. But what I want to show you is a quick video of some volunteers that have been in with us. Some of them, that's their, their first time that they've ever been in prison, and they were able to see um, you know, the opportunities that, that's there to give the gospel. So it's only about four minutes. We'll come back, maybe have a question or two, and then we'll get into the Word of God. All right? exciting things that we do as a ministry is have the opportunity to bring in local church people into the prison with us in order to help us run the tournaments. And many of these people are coming for the first time. And yet God uses them in a powerful way to uh, counsel the inmates, really to look around and realize that these people are just souls in need of a Savior. Why don't you listen to some of their testimonies as they tell what happened to them when they went in. As I got there and as we saw the ladies walking in, um, they're just like me and you. They are some of the sweetest, most precious, and beautiful women that I have ever met. And 
I feel privileged to have met them. And we did relate on a lot of things in the fact that we all need Christ, we all need love, we all need that hope. And it was awesome to get the opportunity to share with them that there's still hope out there for them. It's not over after this. When you get to talk to these guys after the basketball games are over, and there's people who want to be led to Christ, it is very moving. And it was an experience that I won't forget, and I really look forward to doing it again. The inmates were exceptionally receptive. They're appreciative of us being there. They were grateful for what we were doing. They were respectful. And as, especially as the message was preached, they were very intent the way they listened. And it was so neat to see these ladies who came out to play volleyball and to be able to watch them play. And what blessed me more than anything was just to watch them um, see the smiles on their faces and see how appreciative they were for us being there. And what a blessing to be able to talk to them and counsel them and talk to them about the Lord. You know, as a pastor, the thing that's really exciting to me is to see men from our church excited about seeing people saved. And we had several men come today they were, some were able to lead people to Christ, and they were so excited about that, and that excites me. Just a few days ago, I got to be with a lady who accepted Christ, and the joy in her face when we were done praying was so incredible. Working with Inside Alliance has been so awesome, and I'd highly encourage you to join them as well. You won't regret it. And uh, I'm glad it was in that distance of about three different prisons. I tried on my own to get started, and uh, it didn't work. But I got brought about a way through this uh, Inside Alliance ministry. I helped out with that. A year ago today, and through that, I was able to start a Bible study and, um, and uh, able to just minister to these guys. So, after lunch, when we had the preaching time, uh, it was obvious uh, through the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to their hearts that they understood their need for a Savior and they were eager to, to accept Him and to pray. And sitting down in a group with them and looking into their eyes. The Lord just made very clear to me that they were no different than I am, um, that, they, that they need love and they need forgiveness. And after, after we prayed, we resumed playing volleyball, and you could just see their countenances lifted as, as they had joy and uh, peace that they'd been forgiven. So it was truly a blessing to get to be there. So one of the ways that you can help us is uh, helping us in the actual prison. But number two, uh, if you want to grab one of our cards on the way out, um, this is a cheesy joke, I know, but a lot of missionaries tell you to put this on your fridge, right? Where are you supposed to put this? On your washing machine. Washers, get it? Okay, please laugh. Thank you. Okay, that's a cheesy joke, right? But just take one of those, and on the back it has a website. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're man, woman, you can actually get involved in a program called our ASSIST program. Uh, where you can actually write to inmates using email. Okay, it all comes back to us. So you don't have to be afraid of writing them and telling them stuff that they don't need to know, but everything comes to us. So you adopt an inmate, and uh, we send you their name. You write an email to us. We send your email off to them, because a lot of prisons now do email. Send the email to them. When the email comes back to us, we scan it, make sure that there's nothing questionable, and then we email it to you. And so we give you a fake name, they never know your address or email address. Everything is based from us, our post office box. So we'll read it, and uh, if there's something questionable, we'll let you know about it. But we have, we've had ladies and men that will write these inmates and encourage them uh, with the Word of God. And uh, so you may not ever meet them, but you can, uh, most of, a lot of the ladies that uh, do it, 
will actually uh, just tell the ladies what they're reading in their own devotions. Like, I just read this, and this is encouraging from the Lord, and this is happening in my family, and, and uh, some of you men can get involved too. I just I talk to you ladies because I know men are a little harder to get to write stuff, okay? You've you got to sit down and type stuff, all right? Uh, but anybody uh, can do it, can join us. So grab a call on the back. It says uh, the website, itlassist.org, and uh, you can help us. So you can either help us physically when we're back here, or you can help us by uh, writing uh, to the inmates. So we do have a home back in South Carolina. We'll be back there in a couple weeks, and uh, so that's where we're based out of, but we go all over uh, the United States. Anybody have any random questions real quick before we get into the Word of God this morning? Any questions about prison that you've always wanted? I don't know if this is legal to have questions. I don't know what people normally do, but any questions about prison that you've always wanted to know? Nobody? Yeah. Can you go in as a single person, or do you have to go into an organization? That's a great question. You can actually go in both. So when people come in with us, they're like temporary volunteers, and so you fall underneath my umbrella, and I'll get you know your I'd give them your social and stuff like that, uh, so they can do a background check. But then you can actually go in permanently. Um, so um, men and women can go into women's prisons, and um, you can minister there. Um, but you can do it on a permanent basis. You just have to go through all the you know, the background checks and, and things like that. But yeah, anybody sitting here that's 18 or older can get involved in prison. Yeah. What level security prisons do you go into? So I've been in basically all of them. I've been in minimum. Um, I don't necessarily hit max a lot, but I have been in death row. Uh, I've been in death row in um, Alabama, and they walked me right past the uh, room where they... They do the do that thing. So, but I yeah I actually was in the death row and it was like a huge fence, and it was a pretty rough basketball court. But the officer took me out there where all the guys were, and then he said, "Oh, I got to go get something," and he left me there by myself with all the inmates. And I remember thinking these guys didn't get in trouble for like loitering at McDonald's. Okay, they <laughs> they did something worse than that. So, but again, they're not going to shoot the messenger. We're out there bringing them sports. So the, you would you would. Be shocked how many times people, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for, ta- thank you for taking your time. Why would you waste time on it? And so they love when we come. Any other questions? Yeah. So what do they get most excited? Like, I don't like sports. Yeah. So what could I use to get in there to do something they want to do? Uh, that is a great question. Two great questions this morning. Um, well, I'm not exactly sure. You could just go in there with a regular Bible study. I mean, not like not that you have to be a preacher. Just go down, sit in there. I have some ideas as far as curriculum you can use, and just go through a little Bible study. They, what they really want is faithfulness. If you could show up twice a month or every week or whatever, and you're there, and somebody from this church is there, that is a huge deal. Because what people do is they'll start, and then they won't show up. And so all these inmates come to do Bible study. Well, where's the church? Oh, they didn't come today. So, but if you can be there, some churches, what they'll do is they'll have four or five guys involved in it, so they know that at least one person will be able to be there. But yeah, so it's a big deal. Great questions. I don't think I've ever been asked those. So, Matthew 14, your Bibles, let's get started here in the Word of God. If you have any other questions, we'll be around afterwards. Matthew 14, go, we're going to go ahead and read 
uh, just three verses, but we're going to cover the whole a big section. Matthew 14, verse 26 starts and says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and, he, and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And let's go to verse 29. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord, thank you this morning that we've even been talking about inmates who are in desperate, desperate need of your forgiveness. Lord, we've all been there. We've all offended a holy, righteous God. Lord, our sin may not have made us end up in prison, but Lord, it, it should have sent us to hell, but thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness this morning. Lord, thank you for the Word of God that gives us direction. Thank you for the Spirit of God that convicts and encourages this morning. I pray that you would do a great work in hearts this morning. And I pray that you'd help us to go out of here and not just be uh, hearers of the Word, but doers also of your Word. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. We, we desperately need you. And Lord, we can do nothing without you. And so we want you to work in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in a position when somebody is trying to get you to hear something and you just can't hear it? And, and so they keep, can't you hear that? It's just, it's right there. And some of you guys are looking at your wife or whatever. Yeah, can't, can't you hear? It's right, it's like well, off on distance, but you can. And finally someone says, all right, listen, just, just close your eyes and listen. Now, why is it that someone would tell you to close your eyes and listen? Why, why would that help? Well, because you have so many senses, right? Five senses. So all of your senses are working at the same time. So if you shut one of them down, like your vision, then hopefully your hearing would be picked up, right? That's what they're trying to get you to do. So as an illustration, you can go and talk to somebody that's been blind their whole life. And this is what one guy said. He says, I've been visually impaired and completely blind for 10 years, meaning I have 54,750 hours of training for listening and smelling and sensing. He says, I ought to be better at listening than most people. I should be better at sensing movements, feeling textures, smelling hints of spice and something I eat. I should be able to sense temperature changes, air flows, and hear what people are talking about across the room. And why? He says, I've had all these hours of training. He says, I, I can sense people move around me. I hear the slightest murmur. Why? Because he doesn't see anymore, and so his, his hearing picks up. He has to help him. As he gets around. Here's what we're going to talk about this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 7 says this, We walk by faith, not by sight. I think sometimes we use our vision too much when we should simply close our eyes and listen to what God's already said. Listen to what God has already said. Keep all the other distractions away. Close our eyes and shut down all the other senses, and listen to what God has said. That's faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hearing by the word of God. So close your eyes and listen. The background of this passage, right, in Matthew chapter 14, is that Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which is an incredible miracle when you think about it. As a kid, I'd love to see him do this. It's just, how do you think that it actually happened and just bread just appeared. It's an amazing miracle that Jesus did. And so here he is. He shows his authority. 
over his making this bread. And then what he does is he sends his disciples, he says, get in the ship and go to the other side. Now, because he's in control, because he has this authority, he has the authority to tell his disciples what to do to go and get in the ship and go to the other side. And the thing is, they obey, right? Here's what we're going to look at this morning, why we should close our eyes and listen to what God has already said. Because of Jesus' authority. Number one, because of Jesus' authority, obedience is expected. Because of Jesus' authority, obedience is expected, and it's expected to be swift, too. Now, the first command that Jesus gave in this passage was actually to the disciples. We're going to see what happens to them. Their life is going to, in the next few hours, dramatically going to change, all right? In verse 24, it says that as they got in the ship, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In John chapter 6, which is a parallel passage of this, uh, this passage, it says they had rode about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs. They see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nine to the ship, and they were afraid. So normally what would happen, and this is like a normal trip for these guys, okay? They've done this a lot. And normally on this trip, they would be maybe about a mile or two miles from the shore. But when the Bible says that they had rode about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, at this point, they're about three or four miles from shore. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you like water activities or boat activities. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with most of it if I can see the shore. I don't know if anybody's there with me, all right? Um, but here they are. They're too far away from shore, in my opinion, to see it. And you shouldn't be out three or four miles, okay? Um, I get seasick, all right? I've been on a boat in Lake Michigan. And have you ever done something stupid as parents? Someone took us out on a sailboat, massive sailboat, on Lake Michigan, Chicago, and it was freezing. It was 50-something degrees, and they had my, invited my kids. The captain was unsaved. The guy that had invited us was saved, uh, so the captain was unsaved. I got my kids on there. The only, the, way, the only thing they had around the sailboat was, like, two wires around the edge. And um, here my kids are without life jackets on. You know, it's kind of a little bit rocky, not too bad. I'm getting sick. The ship captain is asking me questions about the Lord. So in between my, you know, being dizzy, I'm trying to give him the gospel while my kids are running around a boat with two wires around the end of it with the very cold water. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done, all right? And uh, I just don't do boats. I don't do... But these guys are used to this, right? But they're far from shore, and they're out of their... Really, they're out of their norm at this point because the, the waves are crashing, they're toiling and rowing, and uh, they're in trouble. The wind was contrary. But here's the thing. Jesus commanded them to go, didn't he? And they obeyed. Have you ever been in a position when God has commanded you to do something and you obey, and it doesn't go the way you were planning? Because we all assume that when we obey God, it should be fine, right? Obeying God is the way of blessing, which truly it is, okay? But many times that's a heart blessing. It may not mean that everything on the outside is going the way that we thought it was. Don't doubt your obedience to a command that you were given. Jesus did say to go over, right? Someone said this, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. Has He made it clear? Has He made it clear in Scripture that this is the direction that you're supposed to go as a believer? Has He made it clear in your own life, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through your uh, time with, alone with the Lord, that this is the way you should go as a family, as, as a student, whatever it is, 
That's the way you should go. Well, then don't doubt in the dark what God had already told you in the light. Don't say, oh, I, I obeyed, and now why has this happened to me? I obeyed, I obeyed, I obeyed. Good, you obeyed. That's what you're supposed to do. You were supposed to obey. Maybe a specific direction from, I know God led me to this job. I know God wanted our family to do this. I know, and I, but I just don't understand why it's happening. Well, you just keep going. Keep going. Don't blame your obedience for a storm. Can you imagine some of the disciples saying this? Well, I just, I knew we shouldn't have, I knew we shouldn't have listened to Jesus. I don't think that would fly, right? I don't, you should always listen to Jesus. And so they can't blame the fact that they obeyed for the storm. We're going to see why there was a storm in a few minutes. Don't blame sin for your storm. Now, you got to be very careful here because many times, okay, it may be that God loves you too much that you did go the wrong direction. But I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but me, I, I, I rack my brain so much trying to figure out, well, did I do something wrong? Did I, what sin did I commit that this trial has overtaken me now? What? There's probably nothing there. If you walk with the Lord and you say, God, I'm, I'm open. You just you take the light of the Word of God and you show me what I've done wrong. And if God doesn't, God is, it, God is not going to say, well, I don't know if I really want to show you. No, He will show you. And then leave it there. Can you imagine some of these disciples like on, on the boat and one of them says to the other, guys, you remember Jonah? Which one of you is Jonah? Peter? Are we throwing you off this boat? One of you is going off this boat. We, Okay, yes, Jonah had to be sought after by God because he was going the wrong direction. It may be that you're going the right direction and there's difficulties because you're going the right direction. Don't blame sin necessarily for the storm that you're going through. If you can imagine, I, I can imagine the story, you know, put up on the screen and, and uh, if it's like a play or a movie and here these guys are, they're toiling and rowing, they're out on the boat and all of a sudden, the movie freezes, the play freezes, and you zoom into these guys' face, and you just you get a flashback of what they've seen Jesus do and His authority. And that's what they're thinking of while they're on this boat, perhaps. They stop and think of all that Jesus has shown. You remember just a few, in Mark chapter 4, which didn't happen too much before this, when Jesus rebukes the wind, and says unto this sea, peace be still. So they'd already seen that. They'd already seen his authority over nature. They've already seen that. They flash back. If you can think about that, he commanded the multitude to sit down and, and he fed them just in this passage. Uh, he fed them with the, the loaves of bread. And so he showed his authority over making food. Okay, that's pretty amazing. And then in, in Matthew chapter 12, before this, he says to somebody, stretch forth your hand and he stretched it forth and it was restored whole like the other. And so they flash back to Jesus that has the authority over even human flesh. He can heal. And then he has authority over the devil. Uh, it says to the swine, that the devils go out in the swine and they ran down, uh, violently down a steep place in the sea and perish in the water. So he has that authority. We follow Jesus out of, be of obedience. We're exactly where we want, he wants us to be. Remember the first time they followed him? What did he say? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, we go all the way back to that. From that point on, Jesus is showing his authority. We're just doing what he says. We can rest. You know, the second command in this passage is, is spoken to Peter. All right, look with me, verse 28. Actually, look at verse 27. Straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. 
And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee under the water. When you look at the words, bid me, basically what he's telling Jesus is these words, command me or order me to come. In other words, Peter is not going out on that water until he is commanded to do so. He says, tell me to come and I will come, order me to come. So when Jesus says, come, what does he do? Gets in the water and all these waves and the wind is crashing. Listen, I'm not going to knock Peter for the very fact that none of you in this room have ever walked on water. Or none of us. Peter did. But at least he had that much faith to step out of a boat. We were just at the ocean about a week ago, the beach, and we, the waves were crashing in hard. It was pretty windy. I thought to myself, I know this isn't a sea, but boy, there's no way I could step out on those waves. Peter did. Peter did. The problem is, he didn't last very long, all right? But here's the thing. Jesus commanded the disciples to go across the water on the other side. He also commanded Peter to come unto him. And so when Jesus commands us to do something, we simply obey and let him take care of the rest. But the Bible says in verse 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Little faith meaning your faith was there for a while, but then it came short. Can I answer Jesus if I'm allowed to do that? Why did, why did you doubt, Peter? Because what Peter saw contradicted what Jesus said. goes back to the very first title of the message, Close Your Eyes and Listen. If, if Peter would have stepped out on that, those waves and closed his eyes and ignored all the waves crashing, ignored everything, and simply listened to the voice of Jesus as he said, Come, he probably would have been fine because Jesus said, come. If you can imagine Jesus saying, Peter, don't look. Don't look at, the, don't look at that. Don't look at, look at me. Look at me. Listen to me, Peter. I'm talking to you and I've already said for you to come. But it begins to sink. And obviously we know that Jesus saves him and they get to the boat. But O little, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Okay, that's what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. It's faith. It's faith. Perhaps not seeing it necessarily take place, but hearing what God has already said and doing it. I remember, uh, we have a, my little guy here is, is Austin. I didn't choose my kids. It's Ethan, Hudson, Austin. They're 12, 10, and 8. Okay, we don't believe in girls in our family because even our dog is a boy. So I uh, just have boys. And uh, Austin was actually three uh, when he got his gallbladder taken out. That's not a normal thing for three-year-olds, all right? He was having a lot of stomach pain, and we were, RV was down in Florida, Miami, Florida, uh, doing some tournaments there. And uh, so anyways, but that was one of the worst times of, of our difficult times in our married life. Uh, they didn't allow him to eat for about three days. So he was screaming at us, screaming at nurses. He probably wouldn't admit that, but uh, he was a good kid now. But uh, uh, that's what I'd be doing. And, uh, but any, it was during that time that we were at a church in Jupiter, Florida. And uh, Pastor Blaylock is a pastor there, and he's an older pastor. And he preached a message. He used an illustration. And if you ever hear an illustration, it just goes right to your heart. This one went right to my heart, and I asked him if I could use it. He said that his son was terrified of tunnels. 
like uh, driving through tunnels. And uh, he's got older, they went to Atlanta, Georgia, and there's, if you go through there, there's all sorts of tunnels under uh, the interstates. And, and so he kind of tensed up, his son tensed up, and, and, and when they were coming back, it wasn't as bad, and he was more relaxed. And uh, Ben, his, the son, told his dad, he said, Dad, I'm, I'm not as scared because he said, quote, you know, you don't go to a tunnel, you go through the tunnel. That's good. See, these disciples were not, were not going to the sea. That's not where their final destination was. What were they doing? They were going through that so they could get to the other side because Jesus had commanded them to do that. See, many times we focus on, I'm in the tunnel, I'm in the tunnel. We're going through the tunnel. We're going through the tunnel. Trust Him who's already told us to come. Come to me. Come to me. Number two, because of Jesus' authority, obedience must be swift. Number two, because of Jesus' authority, delays are providential. Delays are providential. Our, someone said this, our swiftness to obey God does not necessarily mean that He will be swift to act. Sometimes when we obey God, we expect, it's like a, like a give and take real quick. I obey God, boom, He comes back. That's not how it necessarily works. God expects us to obey Him quickly. But when He moves, is in His timetable not ours. And so we've got to be quick to obey, and it may just be that delays in our life are providential. In this passage, do you realize that the Bible says in verse 23, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. Verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night is around 3 to 6 a.m. And so the evening comes, he sends them out. They're there between 3 and 6 a.m. So some people think they could have been on the sea for around nine hours. They're toiling and rowing for all those hours. You know the question I want to ask Jesus? Why did you wait? Why did you wait? Maybe the same answer that many of us need to hear today because of his glory. Because his disciples got to see him walking on water, and Peter got to walk on water. And that's why he waited for his own glory, because he's in charge. He's sovereign. He is the final authority. You know, there's some other people that want to ask Jesus the same question. You remember Mary and Martha? <laughs> Lazarus, their brother, is sick. Jesus hears about this and goes, Oh, I better get there real quick so I could heal him before he dies. That's not what happened. He delays his coming. Then when he finally comes, what's the question that Mary and Martha literally ask him? It, or tell him, if you had been here, our brother hadn't died. Why did you wait? Jesus, you could have come. We know you could have healed him, and everything would have been fine. And Jesus says, hold on a section, a, a second. I am the resurrection and the life. And then we get to see a man come out of the tomb wrapped in, clo uh, in, in, in grave clothes and see God's glory and Jesus' authority over even the man who had died because he waited. Can I be honest with you? I hate waiting. Are you with me? I hate Be still and know that I am God. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Wait, wait, wait. And many times when we wait, that's when Jesus shows his power and his authority. And even in this passage, because they had to wait, because they were very uncomfortable, Jesus comes and shows his power. Number three, because of Jesus' authority, fear is overcome. Fear is overcome. Look at verse 26. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. They cried out with fear. Jesus said the opposite, I, it is I, be not afraid. The Bible says in verse 20, the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. Kind of gives us the same idea that that was the condition of these men's hearts at this point. Tossed, tormented, back and forth. Okay, we're going to be fine. No, we're not. We're going to be, no, we're not. We're, okay, this is not good. And, and they were going back and forth. And Jesus comes unto them. And can you, you imagine that? Have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to solve a problem, you men out here, okay, trying to solve something? You're right on the verge of everything's going to be just fine whether it's physical, whatever, emotional, whatever. And so you're almost there, and then something else happens. And, uh, or you're just having trouble with something. And you just throw up your hands and say, okay, just add it to the list. Fine, it's just add it to the list. Go ahead. When it rains, it pours. All right, it's just going to mess. That's kind of the, what's happening here. They're already on a boat, toiling and rowing. The waves are there. The wind is there. And then they see a spirit out on the, <laughs> a spirit out on the waves. Add it to the list. I'll go ahead. I mean, what? What? We're going to spring a leak in our boat? Whatever, just add it to the list. We're going to get to the edge of the world, and there it is, a drop up. Add it to the list. We know that the spirit they see is Jesus. They didn't know that at the moment. They just thought it was just getting a lot worse than it was. And so they're afraid of the water. They're afraid of the waves. They're afraid of the spirit. And Jesus says, it is I, be not afraid. You know what's ironic? is that they actually saw Jesus, they thought he was a spirit, but Peter didn't say, tell me to come, until they actually heard Jesus' voice. Close your eyes and listen. Because he, he says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter says, okay, if it's you, I'm coming, tell me to come. And so here's the thing, they, they saw him, but they didn't necessarily need his visible presence at that moment. They needed his vocal, his, his his assurance that I am here, His Word. Listen, I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's something small, maybe something big. I don't know. But it may just be that you have to get back to not necessarily looking for Jesus to act out here, but to listen to what He's already said in here. He's already said it. He's already said it to you. He's already said it to your family. He's already said it. Look for Him in this Word of God. Listen to Him as He speaks. The Bible says... But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Proverbs chapter 3, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Psalm 112, His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. You guys uh, obviously know General George Patton okay, during World War II. Um, very highly praised military man and uh, governor met with him one time and praised Patton for his courage and bravery and the general replied say, he said I am not a brave man the truth is I'm an utter craven coward I've never been within the sound of gunshot or sight of battle my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands being honest but years later they when his autobiography was published it contained a significant statement by him and this is what he said well, I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. Mm -hmm. 
It's good. Thing is, many of us take counsel of our fears. We have board meetings with our fears. We we talk to them on, on the phone. We have meetings. Our fears, we're constantly getting input from our fears. Listen, don't take counsel of your fears. Take counsel from the Word of God where He says, have you seen on billboards, 365 times, it says, fear not in the Bible. It says, fear not, fear not, fear not. For I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I upheld thee, hold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. There is no need to fear. It's just natural for us. Don't take counsel of your fears. Well, you know the end of the story. They didn't spring a leak and sink right there and it's all done. The Bible says they had gone over. They had gone over. They got over. You know, it's, let me call attention to something else, a parallel passage in Mark chapter 6. It says, When even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he, Jesus, alone on the land, and he saw them toiling and rowing. I never noticed that until I prepared for this message. That here he is, he sends them off, and he goes into a mountain to pray, and while he's praying, the Bible says he sees them. He's God. He can see them. And he knows exactly what they're going. Listen, I know this is a this is a, 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 a K five Sunday school statement I'm about to make, but sometimes we get so old and so mature in our Christianity that we forget the little things. Can I tell you something? Jesus sees you. He knows you. He knows exactly what it is you're going through. I know that's a simple statement, but right here he saw them while he was praying, and he's praying for them. The Bible says he's praying for them, and he's praying for you. He knows you. He knows exactly what it is. It's not that Jesus is so... Many times we, we don't hear Jesus in a specific situation, and so we just feel like He's forgotten about us, and He's, all, he's not going to direct us, not going to show us His will. Keep reading this. Keep going back to this. Let Jesus do the scene. You close your eyes and listen. He's even now interceding for us. Let me tell you this uh, illustration will be done today. Again, another guy, John Payton. All right, He was a missionary in the New Hybrids Islands. You ever heard of him? Okay. Uh, missionary to the Cannibals. I've actually, I think I read his autobiography, one of the two. But he, uh, if, <laughs> if I said to you three right here, hey, listen, I have a ministry and I'm, gonna, I'm going to the Cannibals. You guys want to come with me? It'll be great. It'll be a blessing. I don't know. I don't know if you'd be that excited, okay? I, I'd rather, I'd probably rather uh, minister to inmates than cannibals, okay? So at least I know they're not going to eat me. So, um, but here's the thing. Here, this, this is what he did. In fact, I think when I read his biography, I don't think he died by way of cannibals. I think he died like a heart attack or something. I remember reading the book that the cannibals would follow him around while he was doing his gardening, ready to kill him, and he'd just go about his gardening like, do, 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 and they never, never got to him. Anyways, all that aside, he actually uh, came to the point when he was trying to translate the Gospel of John into their native tongue. A lot of missionaries will do that. And so he worked on the Gospels, and he found that there wasn't a word, at least he couldn't locate a word, in the native tongue, which meant belief. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he, that's the crucial verse. <laughs> and so he's like, I, I can't find a word in the native tongue for believe. And so... It just it hurt him, and he took some time. And so finally, one day, one of his workers came in from uh, doing some work, some Christian service, and he came into Dr. Payton's office, sat on a chair, and put his feet up on another chair. And he used the native word, which meant, quote, I'm resting my whole weight on these two chairs. That's it. The light came on. Dr. Payton said, 
that's the word I need. He said, I am resting my whole weight upon. That's what I need. And so he put it in here. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever resteth his whole weight upon Jesus should not perish. He said, it works. I mean, does it work for you? It makes sense to me. And when it comes to salvation, obviously we know that if we're, if we're resting our weight on anything else besides Jesus and Jesus alone, we are in trouble. But when we rest our whole faith, our whole weight upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we are secure. Okay? We are we're good because of Jesus' work on the cross. But it also means on a daily basis. If you think about that, that word, I'm resting my whole weight upon what God has said in His Word. I'm resting my whole weight upon what God has said to my family. I'm resting my whole weight upon what has been spoken. Not necessarily what I can see, not necessarily what I can feel. I'm resting my weight upon the Word of God, and that's what I can rest in, in Him alone. Close your eyes and listen to what God has said. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You so much for the Word of God. Lord, thank You for the assurance that it gives us. Lord, if we didn't have the Word of God, oh Lord, this morning we'd be lost. Thank You for the truth that it's a light. Lord, thank You that many times it's a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, as Your Word says. Thank You that it's forever settled in heaven. Lord, perhaps there may be someone here today that has obeyed You, has started to cross the sea, has got out of the boat and started walking, and then they have allowed what they see and what they feel and what's going around them to determine their obedience. Lord, I pray that you would get them back to the place where they would just live by faith, resting all of their weight, all of their dependence upon what you've said.